0: Proverbs 21 is where we are. Uh, proverbs chapter 21. We are really um, enjoying this study. And Solomon, obviously the wisest man to ever live, is he's uh, pouring into his children. He's writing these, these proverbs uh, from the wisdom that God has given him so that his children may be able to to learn from them and and be able to navigate this life. Well, we know that the one author of the Bible, which is the Holy Spirit, has actually written the Scripture so that we also will have the wisdom that we need for life. And everything that pertains to our life, we're finding is covered somewhere in this book of Proverbs, which is amazing um, to be able to see and experience this. And so if you would look at it with me, we'll read and we'll pray and we'll dive in. Verse 1, if you're there with me, please say Amen. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. I wish I was getting there today. We'll do it next week. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Getting treasures by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. So, Father, we thank you this morning for the text that you put before us, Lord God. And I just pray now, Lord, that you would allow us to settle down and, uh, Lord, be able to truly hear what you would say to us individually as well as collectively, Lord God. That you would remove at this time, Lord, all of those things that would hinder us in this world, Lord God, whether it's the things of this life, that the burdens, the trials, the challenges, the things that we're dealing with on the outside of this room that we've brought in, in our minds, um, or we're carrying in our hearts. Lord, if it's, uh, I pray that you would move back the working of the enemy, that he would set a perimeter, that where he would have no influence, no meddling in this time, and even that you would remove the distractions from the room, that you would subdue those so that they would fade into the background so that you would have this hour to speak to us. Lord, that we would surrender to that and be open to what you would say, Lord God. Setting aside pride, setting aside all things. Lord, we we desire to hear from you. Lord, by faith, we know that you will speak. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And so... This first verse is a beautiful verse. I know many of you read through the Proverbs on a regular basis. Maybe you've memorized this verse, Um, but it's beautiful. And it says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And I, I, I just love the verse. I've learned from it. It's been a blessing to me at times. It's a reminder of some really good things. And if we can understand it, We can gain a bit of uh, freedom in our walk with the Lord. And so the heart of the king, he says it's in the hands of the Lord, meaning, listen, that God has the power to control even the heart of a king or anyone else for that matter. And this is what you got to take from that right off the bat. This is what it means that there is there is absolutely no human who has absolute authority or power over your life. And some of us probably don't realize that. And so we, we get frustrated. We are viewing people, viewing authority, viewing those things in the wrong way. But as a born again believer, because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are born again this morning, those who have the spirit of God in them. We have to come to a place where we realize that there is no authority that has absolute power over me. Man, when I began to discover this, it was powerful for me on the job and everywhere else that, wait, there is no authority over me except that of God and anything that he allows. And so when you begin to see it that way, you can actually approach life differently. One of the areas in the scripture that I really love seeing this, though, is Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus is God, but I want you to see how he applies this in uh, John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. Um, Jesus and Pilate are talking. It says, then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? In other words, you're going to sit there and not respond to me? He says, do you not know that I have uh, have power to crucify you and power to release you? Man, that's man's estimation. When they get a little power, they lose their mind. Look how Jesus responds. Jesus says to him, he, said, he answered and said, well, you could have no power at all against me unless It had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Jesus says, you think you have power. You have none. In fact, this is a great sin. But the one who brought me to you is the one who's really going to get it. You just you just a tool, a pawn in this whole scenario. Man, Jesus, the power that because he's God, because he understands. But remember, Jesus is teaching us how to live. Remember when he was tempted by Satan and he beat him with the word to show us that it's possible for us to be victorious through the word of God. So Jesus here again, demonstrating that you've got no power over me. You can't do anything to my life. That's why the Bible says that you should not fear man. The fear of man brings a snare into your life. Fear in general brings a snare into your life. So wait a minute. You mean to tell me. That nobody has absolute power over me? The answer, nobody except God himself. He's called us to submit to authority and powers as we honor him in the way that we do it. But they don't have power and control over my life. And this is a wonderful thing for me to begin to understand because now I go, you can go to work differently tomorrow. This is a big deal for us, and I think sometimes we miss it. You see, look, it also is telling us that when God wants to work in the affairs of man to bring about his perfect will, he can do it any kind of way he wants to. Because it's always according to his will, not our will. His will is perfect. And so sometimes we might ask God, listen, you might ask God, well, why then, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why do you not change my situation? Because, look, after all, he's all-powerful, all-knowing. He can do anything he wants, right? Amen? We believe that? So don't you know sometimes, would you be honest enough to say, yes, sometimes, Pastor Kevin, I want to know, Lord, why? Why this? Why now? Why you don't change the situation? whenever I ask that question, God reminds me. He even says to me, look, as a father, you don't give your children everything they want because that's not how life works and you're trying to get them to understand that things are sometimes going to be difficult and you're trying to build something in them. And you know what the Bible says, that we being earthly fathers, we're wicked. If we give good things to our children, how much more will, the, will God, the Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Remember that? Well, the same thing applies. If me being an earthly father understands that, how much more my heavenly father understands that he can't just give me everything I want whenever I want it, the way I want it, and in the timing that I want. We know that, right? So there's more going on to this thing. In fact, the reality is, is that God is training warriors Not wimps. We want to be wimps. That's the reality because we want to escape the trial. We don't want to go through nothing. We just want to be wimps and chill out. But that's not what God is in the process of doing. You know, the Bible tells us that in the age to come, we are actually going to judge angels in eternity. How many of you knew that, that we're going, to judge, we're going to be in charge to some degree of angels? The Bible says that we're going to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus, which means that even have control over the things that's going on on earth. But how can we do that if there's no colors or stripes on our chest? Kind of thinking from a military standpoint. In other words, the uniform that the Lord will give us for eternity, those white robes will be decorated with the victories of faith that we have had while we were being tried on the earth, the first earth in this current age. That's why Peter says that having not seen him, you believe and receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. In other words, God is blessed by the fact that we've never laid eyes on him and yet we're following him by faith. So he's working some things out in us so that when we stand in the kingdom with Jesus, decorated people of faith who live by the spirit now, will be able to rule and reign with him. Then this whole time we live in is a process of training. So if we would begin to spend more time seeking his ultimate will, which is perfect. We would be more effective in our current state here in the life that we're living. And so this is the, some of the things that we got to begin to remember. Now, let's go back to the verse again and let's look at the illustration that he gives us. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, notice he turns it wherever he wishes. I love that. <clears throat> rivers of water in um, your Strong's Concordance, if you have one, um, it's the Hebrew uh, reference 6388, uh, Peleg uh, is how it's it's pronounced, I believe, P-E-L-E-G, with the accent over the G, which means channel or canal. And it comes from a Hebrew root word, Strong's 6385, uh, Peleg, uh, spelt differently with an A, and the accent over the first A, and it means to divide or to split. So the picture is what a gardener or a farmer would do with water to control it for irrigation within their farm. You drive through eastern North Carolina, and you see ditches and irrigation. Uh, uh, lines and stuff run and different ways of getting water to the fields in the way that they want. At my house, I recently had all of my gutters routed, if you will, underground to a location to dump the water away from the house so all the rainwater gets away and doesn't affect the foundation. And I can collect it in the future and use the water if the the power grid goes down, China's invading or something like that. But I, I, can, I can route the water on my property in the direction that I want it to go so that I can actually utilize it. And so God is able to do the same thing with the heart of the king or any other leader or any husband or any wife or any boss manager or whoever, professor, whatever the case may be, God is able to route their hearts in the direction that he desires it to go for his benefit. How many of y'all believe that? And see, when you realize this, it can change how you battle as a Christian. You battle from a place of understanding, just like the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's a whole lot of things going on. But really, the battle is the Lord's and he has the power to, to, to do anything that he wants to do. And so this is a really good thing. So when you uh, get so worked up this week coming up, worried about stuff, as if, if something is never going to change and, 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 and you need to get something done and get this person is, is, is giving you problems and, and they just don't get it. Well, you need to realize that God has the power to change or direct the person who seems to be in power in your life. And we get more done focusing on the will of God and doing what he has led us to, praising him than we do worrying about the person that we think is in the way and how we can change them and, and get their, their, their focus differently. David said to the Lord like this in Psalm 18, verse 3, David says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemy. David says, instead of worrying about the enemy, I'm going to praise the Lord because he's worthy. Amen. Because see, David already realized he has already proven himself to me. He showed me when I beat the lion. He showed me when I beat the bear. He showed me when I, when I killed Goliath. He showed me here, there, and everywhere when I'm destroying Philistines that literally God is in control of everything. What am I worried about? I'm just going to praise him. And this is a place we have to come to in our own lives. When I um, was working in, in corporate America, and I won't tell too many stories. It's like three I want to tell. I'm just going to tell one. But <laughs> I remember... Um, I took over, I was hired uh, to manage a department within risk management at First Citizens Bank. And I remember um, I was put over the department to bring about change. And there was a lady been there at the bank for a while um, and had a pretty good career. People liked her. And um, you know, of course, now I'm over her. And I'm changing regions and travel and all of this stuff. And more travel was going to be required in the plan that I was instituting. And so, you know, here I am, she's from Johnson County. I I was living awake at the time. Here I am, she's older. Here I am, a young African-American man, and I've just changed everything, her region, her travel, everything. And she said to me, I'm not going to do it. So, Preparing to fire her the next day. I'm praying all night long. I'm like, Lord, Lord, I don't want to do this. I, she's had a good career. It, it, how, how's this going to affect other people in her life? You know, she's, she she's upset because she don't like me. She don't like what I'm doing. But I don't want to fire her. But I'm going to fire her because I got to be a good employee to my boss. I mean, she's got to go. And I already talked to my boss. And I remember praying all night long for this lady. Um, and see, God was training me then what, what walking with him is like. So all night praying for her walk in the conference room the next day, everything's prepared, HR is notified, they're on standby to walk her out of the building, take her access codes and everything, clean out her desk, I'm getting ready to fire her. I get to the conference room, she's there, she showed up early, and she begs for her job, she apologizes, God had moved on her, she realized she was wrong, she humbled herself, she came in there, she did the right thing, so she didn't lose her job, we were able to get her transferred where she could finish her career out somewhere where she didn't have to travel. (laughs) But, but it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, God has the ability to do any of these things. I can talk about situations where my boss got changed, his, his plans got changed, and all of these things. And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's scary because you realize that God actually will move on your behalf. And, 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 and then it's like, whoa, you know. And so um, with that power also comes responsibility. Not that we have power. but You get my point. And so I began to experience this in many areas. I even experienced it in marriage. You see, Lisa and I didn't always agree. We didn't always, you know, see eye to eye on things. And so what we learned to do is let it ride for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, you know, praying about it. And what would usually happen, we knew that God was going to do one of these three things. He was either going to move my heart in her direction, her heart in my direction, or our heart in his direction. You know, in other words, something was going to change as we began to pray about it because it was going to go the way that he knew it was best to go to begin with. And sometimes he just needs to work on me so I would get on the program and realize, Lord, she's right again. <laughs> but God has a way of doing that. You know, this is why, wives, you don't have to actually try to be the Holy Spirit. You know, we call you Holy Spirit number two, but you're not. <laughs> you, you got more power praying than you do talking to your husband. You just more power when you start praying than when you start talking. And so those are some things that we have to begin to learn in in this life that God has the ability to to steer things in the direction that he wants it to go on, go in. So then why, then, does it seem like God is taking so long to do something in your situation? Sometimes we wonder that, Lord, why? You know, one of the things that we have to realize is that there is way more going on than we understand. You know, you think about. David, it was God that called Saul to recognize that there was something special in David, and that allowed David to be promoted and moved up um, into almost a general-like position. But then it was also God who allowed uh, Saul to act on his envy and hatred for David and attempt to kill David. And, and, and all of this both prove that, that the people wanted Saul to be king, but Saul's heart was wicked, but God chose David who was a man after his own heart, and that David was the better king. And so, all the while David is now running from Saul and spending 20 years running from his life and trying to figure it all out, all of it was training David to actually be able to be the type of king who could hold up under stress, who could overcome any kind of attack, who would not fear the enemy, who would always stand his ground and do what the Lord wanted him to do. And so, now even from that we can read the Psalms, all because David had to go through these battles and it seemed like God will not we'll never let up, but it had to happen. And then the other thing we need to know is that there are way more people involved sometimes in a process than just us. Mm-hmm. And if God were to just do what you want him to do, how would that affect the other people that we are being so selfish enough not to consider? Mm-hmm. There's so much going on behind the scenes that we don't even have a clue. Right. So then we need to chill out. Yeah. And that's what we're about to see as we go into this next verse. Let's look at verse 2. I'm actually moving fast with this service. I'd better slow down. I had coffee between. That's what it is. Verse 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts." And so I I love this as we look at it, every way of a man, because there's there's many ways. You think about every way of a man we, we, we think is right in our own eyes, the Hebrew word for every way, the phrase actually is, uh, speaks of the course or path or direction of life. It also speaks of moral character. So obviously, uh, no way or no man or no woman, their way can be perfect. No, no one is able to live in such a way that he or she always, their life always pleases God all the time. That doesn't happen. So we've got to acknowledge that, first of all, we are flawed. Uh, and we have a carnal nature, we understand that you know sometimes I hear people say, "Well, i'm just a sinner saved by grace um, there's some truth to that, but it almost sounds like a cop out. Then I hear other people say, no I'm a saint and and there's truth there too. there's definitely truth there, but the reality is that from a spiritual standpoint, I have the status of a saint. yes, the Bible says that we are saints because of the that that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. He's poured his spirit out in our hearts, but we still sin due to the weakness of our flesh. And if anyone says he doesn't sin or has no sin, he's a liar, right? We know that. So, but when I sin, listen, I have an advocate with the Father, so I know that. So when I think about every man's way, every every man is living this life. We're trying to figure this thing out. We're doing what we think is right, trying to do it our way. But because we're flawed by nature due to the sinful nature of the flesh, We're not always pleasing God, and we have to acknowledge that. So then when we look at the verse, it says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. That phrase, in his own eyes, is scary to me. So before we go on, let's review what we've already learned in the book of Proverbs, because we've seen this come up a few times. If you remember Proverbs 14, 12, remember what it said? It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it's in is the way of death. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine actually thinking you're going in a good way, a good path, a good direction in life, and literally it's leading to death? Can you imagine that? Um, Proverbs 16.2 says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. I love that. He's the one that, that truly discerns the spirit of a man and who he is. Same thing in Proverbs 16.25, same thing, we won't read it, Um, But then again, we saw it last week in Proverbs 20, verse 24, a man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way over and over and over? Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, has discovered a problem, a flaw within us, and that we have to consider now. It means, listen, that we all, even as believers, even as born-again believers, have a problem. Our estimation of our life is flawed and inaccurate. And that scares me, as I've shared with you before, that I can think that I'm going the right way. I can think that my direction is correct. I can think all of these things, but it can be flawed often and very inaccurate. And so we kind of then need what I would call some type of a spiritual calibration at times so we can get back on track. Um, I think about calibration the other day, a brother here at the church and I, we're both on the church softball team. The church has two softball teams. And so I ain't hit no balls in over 30-something years. So we decided to go to the batting cage up the street and, and figure this thing out. At least I was figuring it out. He was doing good. And so we used the machine to pitch the balls to us. So we we had to kind of calibrate it, if you will. We had to set it up. So you got to turn um, one knob to change the height at which the machine releases the ball, and then another knob to adjust the direction of it from left to right, and then still another knob to change the speed that it's being released. So we had to change. We had to do three different knobs, three different adjustments had to be made just to be able to get the ball to come across the center of the plate at the right height and at the right speed in order to simulate a game pitch experience. And then if, if, if anybody so much as as bumps the thing, you got to do that all over again. <laughs> you got to reset it. And life is kind of that way. In a sense, because I think about how we we go through bumps, we go through challenges, we go through life experiences and all these things are happening, which are throwing us off. Um, Even our own sinful nature that we're in and and we get bumped, if you will, and we can't see straight. Our estimation is inaccurate and flawed. And so even our view of ourselves, um, as well as God, becomes skewed and we kind of need to be recalibrated. And that's an interesting thing to think about. So a spiritual calibration listens. A spiritual calibration happens <clears throat> when we humble ourselves and we submit to the word of God and the spirit of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to actually lead us. And I, I want to say this. Don't fight the Holy Spirit. Um, we've kind of, the Holy Spirit has kind of been nudging us in the last few weeks in this study, some things, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm actually, God has given me a, a message on nurturing the uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I think one of the one of the problems is that sometimes we can, if you will, kind of ignore uh, the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like with marriages. We're going to talk about marriages tonight, or f- even in friendship, if you have a relationship that you don't uh, spend time and dialogue with, and you don't have communication with, and you're not listening. Husbands, you know this, if you're not listening to your wife, that's a key thing that creates problems. Well, likewise, our relationship with the Lord, if we're not listening, if the relationship is bad, communication is off, then, then, then we're not experiencing the power of God in our lives. And we're not being properly led by him. And it's not his fault. We're not listening And that begins with learning to listen to his voice in small things. You know, the Bible has this this principle that goes all the way through it where if you're faithful over little, uh, the way Jesus says it, I'll make you ruler over much. And so what happens, I think I shared this with you a few weeks ago, when you begin to listen to the Holy Spirit in little things... Then you begin to understand and learn his voice and the dialogue is open and he he begins to realize, hey, I can I can speak to you and you're going to be obedient to me. And therefore, I can do this more in your life. Now I can work with you. okay? now I can now we can we can accomplish something together. But if you're unwilling to listen to him in small things and be obedient to what he says, he can't use you. He can't work with you. You know, and and we can we can do that. You can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. But because you want to go your own way, you're going to do it your way anyway. That might work with people. But God sees everything. And so he's got to deal with you in a way that where he can get you to humble yourself and repent and be obedient to him in little things so he can use you in greater things. That's what I've learned through the years. And and it's kind of like that's all he's looking for. We miss it sometimes because we think it's based on all these other things. And I won't go too far into that right now. But this is a necessary thing in the life of a believer. Is there a real relationship happening with the Holy Spirit to where I'm hearing him and I'm listening to him and I'm doing what he has called me to do? So when we humble ourselves and we get before him and we listen to him and we get into his word and the word is doing stuff in us and we are remembering and trying to walk that out and we're able to hear him on the spot, then we're growing and then we're becoming, if you will, victorious believers. And David knew this because the the thing that Solomon keeps pointing out here and David already knew is we're going to reference him in a moment is that we don't understand our way. Our estimation is often flawed of ourselves. And so David said in Psalm 139 on the screen, verse one through six, David says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, my sitting down and my rising up, you understand my thought afar off. We shared this a few weeks ago. This is a very interesting part of the verse to me that he knows he knows on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock what how I'm going to be thinking and reacting and stuff. He knows what's going to come at me, how I'm going to respond, and all of that kind of stuff. So as I pray now, I can begin to pray. I don't even know what's going to happen Tuesday at 10 o'clock. I know kind of where I'm going to be. But I I can say, Lord, I don't know. But, you know, be with me. Lead me. Guide me. Lord, you know what I need. I don't even know. Verse 3 says on the screen, it says, you comprehend my path. Praise God. Because Solomon just said, we don't understand our own way. But he comprehends our path. And now, this is good. And my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Praise God. I don't have to fully understand myself. I need to submit to the one who does. For there is, notice he says, not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You have, now check this out. It hit me when we was teaching first service. You have hedged me behind and before. When you think about a hedge, it's kind of like a, um, a fence almost. In other words, I got a spiritual guard in front of me and behind me. Well, that can't nothing get to me then. In other words, nothing can happen unless allowed by God. I think we as believers are are just, we're going through the motions saying we understand the scripture, but we're not actually meditating on what it means for our life. I am hedged. You are hedged. It can't get near you unless he allows. And if he allows, he's still in control of the whole thing. Because the only person that has absolute authority over you is God. Your boss can't, ain't got control of you. The president ain't got control of you. These people are in authority, but they don't have control. I'm free from them. God is my, my judge. God is, is the one who has absolute authority over me. So now I can, I can submit to authority. I can function in a way. God knows all of these things. You have hedged me behind him before. Notice, and laid your hand upon me. That's a blessing. His hand is upon my life. His hand is upon my life. You should, you should, you should and let, me get, let me finish and I'll make this comment. Such knowledge, David said, is too wonderful for me. This is overwhelming. It's overwhelming me right now. It's, it's, it's high. I cannot attain it. That's why I'm glad he's the one that knows it. Because if you try to figure out your own life, you're going to make a mistake. But he knows the whole thing. That's why the Bible says, acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your path. David, understand it. David's coming to a place we all need to come to on a daily basis, fully relying on the Lord who knows all. Um, And and here's the thing. You could take those verses I just read and you can turn them into a prayer right back to God, every bit of it. And you should do that every day. (laughs) Lord, I don't know my way, but you do. I don't know what my thoughts are going to be. I don't know how I'm going to react to this meeting I'm about to walk into, Lord. But you know what I'm about to face. You know uh, their motives. You know what, what's in them. I don't know, Lord God. Give me discernment. Work this thing out on my behalf, Lord. Help me through this that I may, I may glorify you. Protect me in the midst of this thing. And you could just get into praying this right back to God because David understood all of these things. And then in the same song, give me a few minutes, um, verses 13 through 18, there's some sovereignty stuff we can need to look at there where it says, for you form my inward parts. We love that. You covered me in my mother's womb. You catch that, man, you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. The most dangerous place for a child to be on the planet right now or in, I should say, in America, the United States of America, that is, is in the womb. Um, and then we as Christians are so upset about stuff, so upset about abortion, so upset about LGBTQ, so upset about the govern- governmental organizations that we think has too much oversight. Uh, into our lives and all of this stuff and influence and and yes a lot all that stuff is true but what we're learning is God is in control of all of these things. God even knows and covers the, the child within the womb. We got to begin to realize that David says Lord I couldn't even come forth unless you already had me covered. So verse 14 on the screen says I will praise you for I am notice fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Notice what he says by frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lower parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In other words, he goes on to say, I'll come back, he says, and in your book they all were written the days fashioned for me, when as yet they were there were none of them. In other words, Lord, you knew me completely before I was even in existence and then you knew every day that I would be allowed to be upon this earth before they began. Thank you, Lord. Wait a minute. God knows the whole thing. I was being formed in the, in, the, in, the, in the lower parts and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We don't even understand the creation that we are. I mean, honestly, we get so wrapped up in a body, but your body is just made up of the elements of the earth, okay, and your body's not even what it was supposed to be because we're we're living in a fallen version of ourselves, okay, so therefore, we got to understand God created a body out of the elements of earth, but it, that doesn't mean anything until he puts life into it. And what is your life? Well, your life is nothing more than the, than, than the information of who you are, which comes from God which means that God doesn't need your actual body to recreate you if he doesn't want to. He could take a brand new batch of dirt and plug your information in, and it will recreate you. We think we understand that as being DNA, but DNA is fallen and flawed. Today, we don't even understand what we're supposed to be. God knew us before he formed us. We come from him. We return to him, and he understands it all. And he knows every day that we have. it's almost like as if God has on his desk in heaven a calendar of which you expire on as far as your current earthly state. And it's almost as if he gets excited because the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord or the, or the, is the death of the saint." So, he gets excited. So, he has a staff meeting, I believe. Multiple ones. He's got the angels in there. He preps the angels. Hey, you need to get to earth. This is the list of those who, are, who belong to me who are passing away today. That's great. According to Luke 16 those who don't belong to him, the demons get to torment them on their way down the hill. But angels come to pick us up. They, all right, so then we get there. I believe that those who of us are human who have already gone on, I just believe that we're serving as greeters or something up there. And so God has a staff meeting, gets a bunch of us together. And in fact, this is what I really believe, and y'all can just enjoy me for a moment. Just don't, <laughs> don't, put, t- don't put this in your notes. <laughs> But I believe those who went to this church, they, they get to be a part of that. Hey, Calvary, got somebody from Calvary Clayton coming, you know, and we get to be there and welcome them when they come in. It's like, whoa, you know, and they show up and we help them get acclimated to everything and, and whatnot and they get settled because even hospice says that when a person's about to die, They have this awkward state of being for a few weeks where their soul is kind of beginning to detach from their body. And it's an awkward thing. They're no longer comfortable in their own body. You know, it's it's something to imagine life. Life happens when we get out of this fallen state. And so it's amazing. David is saying all of these things. It's a sovereignty that goes with our life. And he says, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more than the number of the sand. David says, that your thoughts to me are so wonderful and so numerous, I can never count them. And he says, I am still with, when I awake, he says, I am still with you. This is beautiful. Then he ends the psalm, verse 23 and 24 on the screen says, then search me, O God. Because look, I don't understand my way. That's what Solomon is talking about. I don't understand my way. I, look, you know, every way is right to me in my own eyes, but Lord, you weigh my heart. So therefore, Lord, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's a a wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, meaning in, in his way, his way of righteousness. In other words, because we don't know, because we don't understand, we have to submit that to the Lord and allow the Lord to work it out. Let's finish the verse. Notice he says, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Um, the word way here is interesting. Um, it, uh, it's translated 18 times in the King James version of the Bible, seven times as equal, which means balanced or fair, three times as way, two times as ponderous, they kind of mean the same thing, two times as unequal, kind of meaning imbalanced or unfair, and then one time directed. Very interesting. So, I, I kind of, define it this way. The Lord ponders the hearts, determining the weight of the character or the weight or the character and determines whether it is balanced or not. And then he directs it accordingly. In other words, the Lord, he can look at me. He knows where I am, uh, what state I'm in, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to respond. And so he leads me. Um, As David said in another place, he, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, and then it goes on. I, I would say that uh, we can trust him fully because we're not sure which way to go, because we're not sure of our path. We can surrender fully to him. The Bible says if we commit our works to the Lord, our thoughts will even be established. There, I think there's, there's so much more of a powerful way of living that God desires for us to live than what we're currently living. I think we're just missing it. You know the Lord said that he would not leave us alone. In fact, Jesus says, "I will not leave you as orphans" over in John 14. "I will come to you." He's provided the Holy Spirit to lead us. And there's a great distinction, listen, there's a great distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. It's a great distinction. The unbeliever, the Bible tells us, is blind. In Ephesians 4, Paul says it this way. He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, meaning unbelievers in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated, check it out, alienated from the life of God. Their their understanding is darkened because they are separated from God. And because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So he says that, in fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says that Satan has blinded their minds because of unbelief. So the unbeliever, separated from God is living in darkness, is blinded unless the light of the gospel should uh, sign, shine forth on their heart that they would have and be granted salvation Which is why you're going to give these flyers out to as many people as you can. And you can come get more if you need them. One lady took uh, 100 for her school. She's a school teacher. First service, she took 100. She says, all they can do is fire me. Say amen. (laughs) (laughs) Because she realizes that after listening, there's only one absolute authority over her life. So, she's going to pass out uh, these flyers. So, So, the unbelievers separated. So, we get the gospel to them. But Paul says of the believer in Ephesians 1, this... His prayer, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith and love in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what his prayer is, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, which is what we all need, especially as you go out into the world tomorrow. Verse 18, he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. This is my prayer for you this morning, that you would know the hope of his calling. He's called you and there's a hope tied with that. What are the riches of his glory, of the glory of the saints, excuse me, the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named and not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. In other words, Jesus is over everything and every age and all eternity and everything else. Um, he has put all things under his feet and gave him uh, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, Jesus is everything. He's got preeminence. He is an absolute power. Jesus is. And he's called us. Amen. So what Paul is saying is I want you to know the hope of your calling. I pray that your understanding be enlightened. Because as you leave here today, you have realized we have come to understand that we don't have to understand it all. But the one who has authority over us does. And when we humble ourselves and submit to him. He can navigate and lead us through all of this in such a splendid way. And we can do that in freedom without the worry of people and, and how, what control they have, or authority they have over our lives. If you can remember these things today, only Jesus has absolute authority over you. And you need to submit to him so that you know how to get through this life. And he can do it. Amen. And so that's uh, all we can do for today. Let's bow our heads. Father, we do thank you for just allowing us to be here, for drawing us into this place. Lord, we love you. You are so wonderful. I pray that you would continue to stir these truths up in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that not uh, one of them would be forgotten or lost, Lord God, that in the midst of this week, you would continue to let us uh, be meditating on these truths, Lord God, leading us into a closer walk with you, causing us to live victoriously. Lord, we thank you so much. We pray ahead that you would provide for Resurrection Sunday at the uh, location that we're going, Lord God, that you would draw in those who you would like to speak to that day, Lord God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.